what you're looking for, the same thing. It's a new thing, check out this, I bring. Uh-oh, the rope below the level, cause I'm living low next to the base. Come on! Turn up the radio. Welcome, welcome to another edition of The Young Professionals here on TopDrawerSoccer.com. Travis Clark back with you once again, joined by my two amigos, Will Parchman and J.R. Eskelson, to give you the latest and greatest hot takes and banter on world of U.S. soccer. The world of U.S. soccer, whatever. Uh, Will, what's up with you today? I like. We're like the three amigos then? Is that what this, yeah, this is all I about? Think, I think that might be copyrighted, but... We're gonna go three amigos. Just sure. you know. oh, I guess I, I guess we're gonna get two. Uh, Trace amigos. Trace amigos. But that yeah, I guess that's one way of putting it. We just can't throw it on the internet. It just has to be the spoken word. So there's less of a chance of us seeing a lawsuit. Jr. Is it a hundred degrees? Is it a hundred degrees again in in San Diego or pff, Santa Barbara? Dumb. Sure, where, wherever I am now, it, it's not. It's not that. Maybe long. you're in San Diego. I don't know. Anyway, we're off to a great start today. <laughs> I want to first start off by thanking everyone that emailed. There were four or five folks that listened to the end of the podcast and listened. I think that it'd be kind of cool if we can get more emails to send in, uh, send any questions, maybe stuff we can cover on the show. I don't know if we can get enough, but maybe do like a, a Q&A email show. So send those in to editor at topdoorsoccer.com. Uh, obviously, check and rate us. Check us out and rate us on iTunes for more, but... I'll, I'll dive into that at the end of the show more. Today's episode will be covering Wednesday's U.S. men's national team qualifier. Uh, uh, not a qualifier. Jeez. 3-2 loss in an f- international friendly against Denmark. And then after that, a look at the under-23 men's national team roster that was named, I believe, over the weekend for a trip to Bosnia and Herzegovina and also a under-20 men's national team camp in england there's so much happening right now stuff is flying it's blowing are you guys my mind, ready? Man. i'm worried about these flying objects <laughs> <laughs> not as worried as people should be about your dog coming and attacking them <laughs> jr apparently it happens for those who don't know which is everyone jr delayed the podcast because his dog was attempting to maim somebody at his door but what's your, what's your dog's name again jr uh someone who scored a goal yesterday josie Hey-o. Hi-o. That is one way to name a dog after a mediocre U.S. soccer player. Bam. Wow. Ooh. Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> well, I told you we are going to serve up hot takes and banter this episode. This is what the people want. Coming Let's through. dive in. Okay. We're going to dive in then. We're going to dive in head first. But we're not going to we're not going to hit the bottom or anything. We're not going to injure ourselves. But the U.S. men's national team lost 3-2. to two. Lots of similar storylines that we've seen in recent friendlies for Jurgen Klinsmann's squad. Jr., what were your thoughts on the game? I think you were at a bar soak, soaking your tears in alcohol. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, <laughs> I, I saw a, a lot of Twitter blaming it on the U.S. not being able to handle the game after the 75th minute. and so People seem to be pointing at this issue that the U.S. have had lately. And I, I guess statistics are going to back that up. But if you're actually watching the game, the U.S. isn't handling the first minute to the 90th minute at all either. It, it's it's not just a problem for 15 minutes of the game. It's a 90-minute problem. And the U.S., they're not knocking the ball that well. They're not keeping possession at all. I think quite a few people, Maxi Rodriguez, our esteemed colleague, brought it up on Twitter. The U.S. didn't even have like a six-pass sequence yesterday. Like, imagine what they could have accomplished if they actually strung some passes together against that Denmark team. But they never really did it. And I think that's the over 
overarching issue right now. The U.S. can't complete passes, and whether that comes down to Bradley and whoever's playing the center midfield with him or whatever Klinsman style play is this week, it, it's a it's a big problem that the U.S. needs to address, especially with this team moving forward. Yeah, I was trying to do the same thing during the game, be like, okay, is that a is that a two like one or even one or two passes was a a kind of a difficult ask and. Again, you know, it's international soccer. Klinsman doesn't have a lot of time with these guys. But at the same time, you know, the professionals are supposed to be at the highest level, yet you see some of the same things cropping up over and over again. Will, was that your take of the game, too? Did you sort of think that was kind of like, well, here we go again? Well, we talk about, you know, Klinsman obviously not having a whole lot of time with these guys, which is certainly true, but sort of exasperates the problem by never really starting guys in the same positions. He flips people around, I think. Fabian Johnson's played every position except goalkeeper at some point. I mean, you know, you've got Breck Shea at, at left mid, and he hasn't played that position in a couple months, uh, if not since, you know, last year. Um, so at left back now with, uh, with Orlando. Uh, you've got Alejandro Bedoya playing a holding midfield role, which um, I know he's played in the central midfield at Nantes a little bit in, in France, but, you know, playing with Michael Bradley on a national team level where you literally have never done that before, um, I mean, of course, you, the, you know, I, I think we saw that with their inability to string together passes because, you know, how could you really expect that team to look coherent in the buildup when Bedoya and Bradley are just kind of stepping on each other? I mean, it, it looked like Bob Bradley's empty bucket, you know, which, which kind of made me laugh because you think about how much has Jurgen Klinsmann talked about formations and playing, you know, this, this out-of-the-back style, and he's talked about, you know, splitting his center backs so you know the the lefty favored center back is on the left side so he can play with his favored left foot and the right you know on the right it, it all sort of builds to this point that he makes time and time again where he wants to play through the midfield and then he doesn't equip his teams to do it and so they end up sort of reorienting themselves into this sort of typical american format where they're most comfortable and they're kind of in this middle ground where they're trying, you know, do we want to play through the midfield, but we're not equipped to do that. So we're just going to kind of sort of hoof it over the top. And, you know, we saw Alfredo Morales, who came on late, just completely lost, tries to play through the midfield, and there's nobody around him. And his touches are, you know, he's got these donkey touches where I think his first touch was so bad that John Brooks tried to clear it and it bounced off the back of his head and ended up <laughs> yeah. with Denmark having a goal-scoring opportunity. And that was sort of you know analogous to this game where it, it didn't really look like they knew what they wanted to do, which you know, Jurgen Klinsmann's been in this job for, what, four years now? And you know I, I think a lot of the, the public opinion is beginning to turn on him, and, and rightfully so. I mean, they've played some truly atrocious-looking soccer over the last eight or nine games. And, you know, he, I think he deserves some of that scrutiny. Yeah, but I think there's no chance that he's going anywhere anytime soon, even if no. the U.S. fails in the Gold Cup. It's sort of weird to have these, you know, you can have the same questions, same observations, same tendencies from every single friendly. And I know they're friendlies. You know, there's a caveat, obviously. But, you know, you're seeing some of the same things, same patterns you saw in the World Cup. And, I know that Klinsman obviously deserves the lion's shares of the blame, you know, the, and I think the, maybe the players get off a little bit scot-free from some corners. You know, just a lot of that guys are in MLS, and I feel like there's a hesitancy to criticize players who are on the national team from MLS. I mean, maybe I'm just totally making that up. Who knows? But 
you know, regardless, the the ironic thing, I don't know even know if this is irony, but the the funny thing about Wednesday's game is that before giving up two late goals, once again, the United States was up 2-1, you know, uh, goals from Josie Altidore and Aaron Johansson that kind of came out of nowhere from a little bit more direct play, especially the first one, not to mention a, a pretty fortuitous deflection that uh, assisted on Josie's goal. But then the U.S. conspired to give up a hat-trick to Nicholas Bentner, who is more of an internet meme Lord than he is an international... It's Lord Bentner. Lord Bentner. He's more internet meme than soccer player. And that's just something that was pretty disappointing. You know, and I think not to pick on one of the new kids, but center back Ventura Alvarado, a guy from Mexico, a Mexican-American, came on. The U.S. gave up two goals. JR, was he – how did he do in your opinion? He was awful. I mean, I, I think we've seen enough from him. I thought he was pretty terrible on the on the day, and I felt like he looked like he was just lost out there. I, maybe this levels too advanced for him. I, there seems to be dividing opinion about him, but for the most part, it doesn't seem like there's that many people who watch the Mexican League regularly who think he's that good. So I, I'm kind of curious about why he was called in, and from this first appearance, it doesn't look like it was a, a sound reasoning for that. He definitely looked lost. His yellow card was an atrocious tackle, especially for a friendly. It, it was just, it was absurd. And I never really felt like he sold into the game. Granted, you're staring back and you're coming in for 10 minutes. So it's a little bit hard to sell into the game, but I was not impressed at all with his performance. Right. And I think, you know, that kind of adds to the narrative of, okay, you're looking at these games, you know, you want to look at the performance more than the result. And a lot of the times this result comes on the heels of, you know, four or five changes between 70 to 80 minutes. So you have guys coming in that are cold, that aren't really catching up to speed, the speed of the game quick enough. So I think that adds just, it just makes it even more difficult to really kind of get a read on what exactly is happening with Klinsman's team's what exactly is triggering these problems? Uh, let's not be too much of a Debbie Downer on, on this part. Will, were any guys, and I know that this is kind of few and far between, but were there any players who impressed, did well, you think helped themselves yesterday on Wednesday? I think Josie Altidore is definitely benefiting from a little bit of increased confidence since he moved to TFC, I think. I mean, just playing games on a regular basis in the club level will do that for you, I think. Um, but he, he looked really good. Um, and I thought he and Michael Bradley kind of carried the torch a little bit. Um, I, I think w- w- what Michael Bradley is going to evolve into um, as he gets older, I think he started his career as just an out-and-out out number six. Um, I think he, you know, early in his 20s, he, he was just a holding midfielder. I think Chievo, his stint with uh, in Verona, really kind of fashioned him into that sort of just holding midfielder, break up attacks, sort of restart um, restart some of their own. But I think as he's gotten older, he's really adapted his game into this space where Klinsman's unsure where to use him. I, I think Taylor Twelman kind of addressed this on the broadcast where he said, you know, I, I don't think Michael Bradley's a, a number 10. And in my head I'm thinking, well, you know, no crap. Of course he's not a number 10. But at the same time, Klinsman kind of views him in some way as that sort of high attacking midfielder, and he's clearly not. And you saw sort of his best use when he sort of dropped that that cross on a dime that led to Josie's assist that that uh, led then led in uh, Aaron Johansson for his goal. So I, th- I think when you let him do that, sort of almost in this 
Pirlo role, um, where he, he can kind of drop in his 20 to 30 yard diagonal passes. He's I, maybe the best American, you know, in the business right in now. In the world, ever? Yeah, ever in the history of mankind. But, yeah, it's, but, it's but he hasn't been depressing. allowed to do that as much. Yeah, and you think that maybe Jurgen would want to actually utilize Bradley in his best role, but, you know, Jurgen kind of. He he moves he moves to the beat of his own drum. I think the saying goes, and you, you see it over and over again. And and obviously there's only so much he can do with the group that he has. And, and I know that there's you know you see on on the internet, you see in message boards and on Twitter about people attacking Klinsman all the time, and then people jumping to his defense and treating him like he can't be criticized and you know the systemic flaws of u.s soccer is what is the program really struggles with and yada 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 and all this existential existential hot takes that are probably just too in-depth for this podcast but the federation uh, the federation the men's national team is playing switzerland on tuesday will be another pretty stiff test for the americans uh, as they kind of wrap up this week-long Euro trip. Real quick before we take a look at the under-23s, JR, what would you like to see happen in that game? Uh, I, I think I'd like to see some new faces play. I think Miguel Abara gained some more playing time would be good. Rubio Rubin gained some playing time as well would be nice. I know he played a considerable amount against Denmark, but I, I'd kind of like to see one of those guys get a start and just to see how they fit in. I, I mean, this is still so early in the cycle, building toward the next World Cup, that you kind of want to see the the younger. They're not really that young, but younger types of players on the roster get some playing time to show what they can do on the international stage, especially in against decent competition. I would also like to see Tim Ream play. I think that not a lot of people really get to watch Bolton, and by not a lot of people, I mean hardly anyone in America because they're never on TV. And I think that you know he's cut out an admirable, admirable career for himself over in England with Bolton. And you know the championship has its ups and its downs, but it's certainly a frenetic and challenging league. So you know maybe he's somebody that could help out as a hybrid left back, uh, left center back, since you know he he kind of would fit Klinsman's uh, ideal style. Anyway, that's enough about the full national team. Again, they'll be in action on Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time kickoff it's going to be on fox sports one uh moving right along another you know the second of three national teams in europe the u.s under 23 men's national team is in bosnia herzegovina did i say that right guys how'd i do nailed it nailed it nailed it nailed it bosnia and herzegovina for a couple of friendlies uh they'll be actually in action on friday march 27th against the host nations before moving on to Denmark, actually, on Tuesday for a game against Danish U23s. Um, Will, any th- thoughts on the roster that jump out to you? That's kind of where we'll take this from. Obviously, we won't get to see these games, but uh, kind of your take on the players that Andy Herzog called in. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you see a little bit of residuals from the start of the MLS season. I think Fatih Lache with the, the earthquakes has had a really strong start to the season. Uh, same with Kyrie Shelton. I think both of those guys um, have really kind of improved their stock, especially in the last uh, month, month and a half. And I think uh, pretty excited to see, especially Shelton. I, I think he's really kind of come on as sort of a super sub for 
uh, New York City FC and, and given them a lot of, of punch off of uh, off the bench. So I also uh, Will Trap looks like he might miss. Um, so it looks like Alashe, you know, could be in line to have that sort of starting holding midfield role, which I think could be interesting. For me, I, I'm most interested to see Luis Gill. Um, I, I still don't know sort of where his best position is. and I don't think anyone does. And, yeah, and I, I think the way coaches use him is always interesting to me because, you know, at RSL he's played out wide in the, in the diamond. Uh, they've played him up top as, as the number 10. At the U20 World Cup he was kind of more – sort of that number eight role that, that was kind of allowed to drift high. Um, and I, Who knows? I mean, I, I'm worried for Gil that, you know, his, his career has kind of stagnated a little bit and that he was kind of the next great hope maybe two or three years ago, and now he's kind of fallen off. And, I, I mean, I'm happy to see him get more call-ups because it definitely means that, that coaches are willing to sort of gamble on him a little bit, if you will. But um, I, I, I am a little bit curious to see how he responds and just to see if he can kind of add um, add another arrow to his quiver where where RSL is concerned, because he hasn't been sort of that first team guy automatically lately. Yeah, the the thing that really strikes me about this roster is there there's a sense of like, okay, who's available, who isn't really playing for their MLS club? Let's bring him over to Europe. Yeah. A good example of that, Christian Dean. You know, he's probably played you know two or three games for the Vancouver Whitecaps after being picked. I believe it was number three overall in the 2014 draft. Uh, Oscar Sordo probably has played more for LA Galaxy 2 than for the LA Galaxy 1. Um, Alashe, his inclusion is interesting because you know he's actually been in the starting lineup for the Earthquakes uh, the past couple of games. But uh, my question for JR is going to be a pretty difficult one. Can you pronounce Tyler Miller's club? No. Okay. <laughs> is it Birkin? I'd say Zwei Brücken. Okay. Zwei? That would be my guess. <laughs> Silly Germans. <laughs> I'm not German for the record, but uh, Miller, uh, he's obviously one of the more in- intriguing names as well because he's, is that, I think his fourth division, he was drafted by the Sounders but elected to go to fourth division Germany instead. And again, you know, is he someone who's just kind of available and ready and qualifying at this age group? Um, TDS favorite Jordan Morris is included. Uh, Mario Rodriguez, another guy from the under 20 World Cup and under 17 World Cup teams. Um, and then earlier this week, uh, Boyd Okuonu and Dan Metzger, who was drafted by DC United and had signed a deal with MLS ahead of the draft, but then was cut by the team. And, uh, you know, we're hearing that he's going to end up with New York Red Bulls too. JR, is it problematic to see players? without club teams called into this, you know, national team camps. I know that this isn't Metzger's, Metzger's first time with under 23s, but it just strikes me as weird. Yeah. And not to harp on Metzger, but it's just, it's hard to believe that there aren't 20 players who are professionals under the age of U23 that are eligible for this team. It, it, it kind of blows my mind. Like, is there not that many MLS players? Like, are there not enough guys who have earned jobs in MLS to, to make a impact on this team? And I know, but, but it doesn't even matter. To, you know, some of these guys haven't earned jobs on MLS teams. So, yeah, I mean, like, look at Christian Roldan, for instance. The guy has gotten one camp ever on the national team level, and you're going to tell me he couldn't have come in in the midfield for a guy like Ariel Lassiter? 
I mean, and he's eligible for the under twenty teams if we're talking yeah, about Roldan. Yeah, he's U twenty eligible too. But I mean, I, I it, in terms of his ability and the fact that he's playing professional games, I don't think a U twenty three call up would be out of the question at all. Or Nick Beasler, even the Portland Timbers midfielder who just joined MLS. He hasn't played a game yet. He's been on the bench every time, but you know what's he up to? Bumming around. Yeah. JR, I interrupted you. Any more? Th- any further thoughts? My bad. No, it's just uh, U.S. soccer coaches always talk about their growing list of prospects and their growing list of players. And we get to this U23 age, and it seems like they just focused on the U20 players, and they want to call them in again. It didn't seem like it really opened up their vision at all. They called in a couple of kids who are making debuts as rookies. Like, you're telling me these two months of being a professional have changed it so much that they're now all of a sudden worthy of the national team? If that's the Definitely. case, let's take a look at some more college kids along the way because I'm not believing that some of these guys on this roster are better than good to above average college players. Like I don't think there's that many players out there in college that are probably worth the national team, but there are players out there. So I, I think it's, it's a time that they need to take more of a look. I mean, Jordan Morris is there. Let's look past Jordan Morris. Let's find another couple of players who can make an influence. Let's help identify those players moving forward. They tried to do it last year. They they brought in Ramon Martin Del Campo to that camp, and clearly that tanked for them. But let's try that again with someone else. Well, I think that that's a good point in the show to remind to let our listeners know that JR has launched a petition to get Georgetown defender Joshua Yarrow and UCLA Fort Abu Dhanladi, U.S. citizenship. It's a White House petition, so just Google that and search for Josh Yarrow. I don't really know how to get to it, but um, GR is doing We'll we'll try to get someone to tweet out from TDS. Just follow follow your heart. That's how you'll find it. JR is is (laughs) trying to look out for the Federation and give them a couple more options. Um, You know, it's kind of funny. I kind of overlooked this a little bit, but you're looking at the... um, um, now I'm looking at the U20 rosters. Sorry, I'm getting confused about what we're talking about at the moment. But, yeah, the the 23s, obviously Klinsman is making a big deal about it because when they missed out on qualifying for the 2012 Olympics, the you know he was harping on how these guys are missing out on that chance to play at a bigger stage. So I know they're probably going to be doing a few more trips like this, you know, really getting these guys exposure overseas. You know, maybe that's looking at, getting players to clubs abroad as well, maybe getting some interest to move on on from MLS. Who the heck knows? But uh, obviously with it being 2015 and the the Olympics next summer, that's going to really start ramping up. We'll have lots of coverage both on the young professionals and on topdoorsoccer.com as that continues to gather steam. Uh, Moving down to the final age group we're going to discuss today, the under-20 men's team. Guess where they're going? They're also going to Europe. Now, the the under-20s actually, actually did qualify for the World Cup early this year, if you didn't remember, and are going to be in England for games against the England under-21s. They'll wrap up their trip early next week. Um, just overall thoughts on the roster, Will. Any names that kind of jump out to you? I know we touched on Roll Down a little bit. You know, obviously, these are a lot of the same guys that were qualifying, say for a, a name or two here or there. Yeah, I think... Um... For me, the, the big name on this list is Cameron Carter-Vickers. I think the way he performed at uh, U-20 CONCACAF qualifying, I mean, I think in a lot of ways he was the best player on the field. Um, it, Spurs completely tanked in the U.S. or U.S. in the FA Youth Cup uh, semifinals against Chelsea. They 
had a 3-0 aggregate lead with about 50 minutes left in the second uh, leg and gave up five goals and uh, ended up losing 5-4 on aggregate. So that, that one was... That's impressive. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very Spurs-ish. Um, and it, so Carter Vickers won't, won't remember that one, but in the first leg anyway, um, when Spurs shut out Chelsea, a very, very good Chelsea um, U19 team, it should be said, uh, they shut them out 2-0. And Vickers was... was uh, pointed out by the uh, the Chelsea youth Twitter handle as the best player on the field in that game. Um, and that came off the heels of, uh, of the CONCACAF qualifying. So he's playing really well right now. Um, he's just sort of a man among boys. I think he's kind of a guy that you would look at as being um, a U.S. sort of full national team guy, like well before uh, he turned, you know, 22, uh, just because he's physically, he's, he's there. Um, and so I'll be interested to see how um, how he responds, and uh, and also Eric Palmer Brown keeping it in the in the defender category. You know, there's been all this talk about Palmer Brown going to, to Juventus, and um, kind of came out of nowhere. And now there's it's confusing. Sort of, yeah, it's very confusing. Now there's sort of some traction about you know it, it may actually be happening now, and it, you know he's been good, but Juventus, I, I don't I don't know where that came from. So I mean, every time I see him, I think. Yeah, you know, he's getting better. He's a solid prospect, but, you know, I've never looked at him and thought, Europe, you know, this guy has Europe written all over him because, you know, he's, he's really, really unpolished. So, I mean, if, if he can sort of step up in a situation like this and, and put in some, like, serious performances, then maybe we start saying, okay, well, I, I understand that, that transfer. But until then, I, I, I just want to keep getting looks at him and just to see what it is that Juventus sees. Yeah, Palmer Brown was pushed into MLS action last year when Sporting KC was decimated by, by I believe, World Cup call-ups and injuries, and he ended up getting a few looks uh, before his season was shut down due to a foot injury he suffered, I think, kind of a late summer timeline. Looking at the new names on this list, guys that weren't in qualification, obviously Palmer Brown we touched on, DeSevio Payne, uh, Groningen, which is a team in Holland I have not seen him play don't really know that much about him uh was Mark Delgado on the qualifying roster he was not uh you know he's a new name I remember that Ethan Sonis uh J.R. Eskelson had a great article about him uh and that's probably why he got called up right guys nailed it nailed it Mackie uh, Tall Joel... too don't forget Mackie I was gonna get there Mackie Tall and Andrea Novakovic were also included in this roster as was Joel Sonora, who was on the under-17 men's qualifying effort that failed last time, I don't think he was involved this time around in Honduras, but he's another interesting name on this. Uh, JR, any of these guys that you're really... I mean, I know we can't see these games, but, uh, you know, are really excited to see on the roster among those newcomers? Yeah, shout-out to Mackie Tall. I'm looking forward to see how he does in the U.S. jersey. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, though. Yeah, he's... I think eligible for what three different national teams? I think you tweeted that out at one point. Yeah, France, Ivory Coast, and the U.S. Um, the other two nations did not make the World Cup, so <laughs> I guess you could say this is his third choice. But I, I, I think there's quality there, and I think the U.S. kind of lacks a 
out and out striker, I think he's not going to have an easy chance at making the roster. But I, I think if you get him in there and he impresses, there could be something to make of it. It'll be interesting to see to see how Tab Ramos handles this raw the this camp and how he handles the upcoming friendlies he has scheduled. So I, I'm curious to see how these new pieces fit in and. I'm hopeful that this team will look better at the World Cup than they did at the CONCACAF qualifying event. Yeah, this will be the first of two Euro trips for the U20s. They'll be in Austria again from April 18th to the 26th for games against Qatar and Croatia's under-20 sides. Obviously, the build-up to the World Cup, which begins May 30th, or their World Cup adventure begins May 30th against powerhouse Myanmar. So... That should be a, a significant test. And actually, when you look at the U.S.'s group, uh, which we'll obviously preview later this year, they should be able to qualify out of that group. But you never know with with uh, U.S. youth sides what you're going to get. You know, you may get great play for you know 30 minutes a game, and then it all come apart. Uh, jumping back onto that roster real quick, I just wanted to shout out to Andrea Novakovic, Novakovic, as I butcher yeah, his name. Those. One of those. He's been. He actually made his debut for Reading in the championship, I believe. Uh, you know, like kind of a last five minutes sub. Uh, but after deciding not to attend Marquette and sign abroad with the championship club, it's good to actually see him kind of progress. He's been playing mostly for the under twenty ones, and that can you can sometimes see a kid's career stall when he makes that jump. You know, maybe it's too yeah. big of a, a gap. But not you bad know, I, for a player who got. Sorry, not bad for a player who got turned down from the residency program. Yeah, I mean, the, we could go on and on about that. But do we know, uh, by the way, do we know why Novakovic wasn't on the Concacaf qualifying roster? Considering how, how I don't sort think of, he, how, he how was released they, by his club. That might that have been be my yeah. guess because yeah, they could have used the club captain. And I believe, I believe that Rubio Rubin or Rubio Rubin, whatever, however it's pronounced, he is also eligible for the world cup so you know he's somebody that could really beef up the attack but uh andrea or maki would be good you know in that sort of target if tab wants to play his 4-3-3 you know ben spencer didn't probably do as good as he needed to in order to guarantee his you know spot on the team as a target number nine forward but you know one of those guys could easily fit that mold anyway should we uh mention zalalem before we get out of here Who's that? Should we do that? Should we do that? Should we uh, jump jump on that hype train? Who's this? Who's this player you speak of? Who's he? Uh, I believe he is a dual national from Australia, and he wow. he's a goalkeeper striker, I think. Yeah, is that right? Wow. Yeah, I, sp- I, I guess. I guess if you're bringing up. Um, Kids, kids, guys who are who would be eligible for the under twenty World Cup team, who are not listed on that roster. Mr. Gideon Zalalem of Arsenal would be in that category. I think they are still waiting to sort out that few, the. You know he he hasn't been a resident of the country for five years, so he needs some kind of an exemption from FIFA. Germany was making a push for him with the U eighteen level, but then he obviously dropped off the roster. I'm sure folks saw that. So. And, you know, I think Klinsman was addressing reporters last week when he talked about having, you know, not being sure where he'd end up this summer. So uh, I guess he would be someone that might do okay for the U.S. at the World Cup in New Zealand. You guys think? Uh, I know. Can I say that? You can. 
I will hold you to that prediction. Gideon Zalalem will win the World Cup for the USC 20s. I think that's what you said. Yeah, and he's going to score 15 goals. Excellent, excellent. That's what goalkeeper strikers can do. Yeah, buddy. Well, anyway, that'll do it for another episode of The Young Professionals. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, shoot us your emails for things you want to cover. Uh, editor at topdoorsoccer.com. Check us out on iTunes. Leave reviews. I hear that's what you're supposed to do in order to get more people to listen to the show. We're obviously on SoundCloud and post on the website, so we'll, that's probably where you're listening to it right now. And you're listening to it because Maxi Rodriguez tweeted out the show at least five times. If he doesn't, he's missing his quota. Anyway, for Will Parchman, J.R. Eskelson, this has been Travis Clark. Thank you very much for listening again, and enjoy your soccer. What you're looking for the same thing, it's a new thing, check out this, I bring all the rope below the level, cause I'm living low next to the base, Come on. turn up the radio, they're claiming I'm a criminal, but now I wonder how, some people never know, the enemy could be the Frank Guardian, I'm now a hooligan, I rock the party and clear all the madness, I'm not a racist, preach the teacher, oh. cause some they never had this, number one, never wanna run about the gun, I wasn't licensed to have one, 